Hey everybody and welcome back to Unfiltered. I am your host Kaya McCullough and I am so excited to be bringing you guys another episode. You already know what this show is about. We're going to be discussing topics regarding the intersection of race, politics, pop culture, sports, you name it. We're going to talk about it and the implications that they have on the current moment that we're living in in America. Um, This week I am joined by one of my closest and dearest friends, Adriel. I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit later, Um, but I'm super excited for our discussion this week. We're going to be talking about high school. We went to high school together. We're going to be talking about the high school experience, especially at a predominantly white school and his experience being a gay person of color um, in that environment and what going to college was like for him and how that was different and more importantly most importantly what you can do to be an ally to the lgbtqia plus community and you know how that functions with intersectionality so it's going to be a very very great conversation i'm so excited to have him on the show um so yeah i'll let him introduce himself Hi, everybody. Hello. I'm Adriel Arabi in the household. <laughs> and who are you? Like, what do you do? Uh, Where do you go to school? So I went to school at University of California, San Diego. I study. And currently, I am a behavioral health therapist for kids with autism. I do behavioral therapy or ABA, you know, applied behavioral analysis. So. I just help with, with their social skills and communication skills and making sure they're ready for when they go to school. I'm going to take is... one year off because I can barely hear myself. <laughs> you have to hear yourself talk. I love that from you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Obviously, you're one of my best and dearest and closest friends, and you have been for a long time since we were, what, in seventh grade? Seventh grade, like 12, 10, 11. <sighs> I don't think you're t- – I think it's like 12 or 13. Yeah, 12 or 13. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so it's been a while. It's been over a decade. Uh, oh, my God. Please do not <laughs> say that. <laughs> Plenty of stories. Um, so it was not hard to think of one to share. I'm going to share a story with you and with the audience to kind of familiarize them with our relationship and kind of give them an inside look of who you are through my lens. Um, so the story that I thought of, was in high school and we used to have sleepovers a lot like even on school nights which looking back is like I mean we were good students so it wasn't that big of an issue but I don't know what we were doing I don't think it was a school night but I remember we were having a sleepover and you like really 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 wanted me to watch this movie I forget what it was called but it was like a foreign film (laughs) what was it called the way he looks the way he looked, it was a really good movie, but you like wanted me to watch this foreign film with like ca- captions that we had to read the whole movie. It was like one or two in the morning when we started it and you were just like so adamant that we finished it. And I remember after we did, it was a really good movie. Like I said, you, again, we had to get up early the next morning for something. I don't remember what it was, but you like made me stay up because you were like, Kaya, like if you go to bed now your circadian rhythm is going to be off. Like you need to get a full cycle of sleep, not a half cycle, not a cycle and a half. You need to get a full cycle, four hours. That's going to make you feel the most rested. And I remember Mm -hmm. looking at you and just being like, 
who the fuck does this guy think he is <laughs> cutting into my beauty sleep? Um, but I mean, I think that story, you know, I trusted you and we ended and up doing whatever it? we did. I mean, I, I like the movie. I trusted you on that. I trusted you on making me stay up till four in the morning. So I would only <laughs> get four hours of sleep. Um, but, you know, I think that just describes our relationship very well. And you know, really emphasizes the trust I have in you. So I'm really happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I would say so too. I mean, if anything, if I was just basing our relationship off that experience, I would just say you're a down ass bitch. And <laughs> <laughs> you hear that people now, you know, yeah. no, but yeah. So, I mean, we met in middle school and personally, that's not something that I really want to relive um, ever. Uh, middle school was middle school, especially where we went at Serrano. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you were honestly kind of my first um, exposure to the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, not that I hadn't met gay people before, but you were my first personal connection. Um, and I feel like a lot of the journey that you went on I was a part of and so it was so cool to learn from you and learn from your experiences um and just really you know as an adult as a reflect like you really have had such an impact on me and so I would love to just talk about your experience um being you know where we went to school I've already talked a lot of shit about our area growing up <laughs> on the podcast um very predominantly white very conservative very christian um very repressive so kind of what was your experience like in high school with you know being not only gay but also a person of color all right well let's start from the beginning i mean <laughs> <laughs> i've known i was gay since i was like eight and that was when i like third grade i think and i was in catholic school during that time as well so all the way until coming up until or i didn't come out till sophomore year to everybody everybody yeah. everybody in school I told yeah. you and and key like what maybe maybe beginning of sophomore year maybe even freshman year it was, I think it was ninth grade like yeah, later in the year yeah we were walking home from school one day <laughs> and I was like hey girls I think I have something to tell you <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are like what and I'm like I think I'm bi I think I'm bi and you guys are like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, of course. And, you know, one thing led into another, and I was like, no, I think I'm just gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely as you, like, got more comfortable. I mean, I, I'm i glad that you describe it as being so nonchalant. I wasn't, like, shocked or anything, but I still was like, huh. Like, this is the first time that I've somebody's, like, ever came out to me, which, mm -hmm. so it was, like, a very, like, formative experience to yeah, me. you were one of the first people, like, actually, like, the first person I came out to, so gotta give it to you for making me feel comfortable enough to actually do that. <laughs> I'm got it good. No, but yeah, um, so you well, came let's, out. Let's, I came out sophomore year, and the thing was, I came out to most of the people in high school, so, you know, like, when right when I got into ASB, um, you know, our little student council. To people that to people that don't know what ASB is, uh, yeah. I got I got really comfortable with like who I was in the school setting, but I didn't come out to my family until I graduated high school, um, or not even that. I came out to my dad when I was moving into college, and I came out to my mom a little bit before that. And 
I kind of, when I look back on my high school experience, like it was fantastic because I was able to be who I was when I was in school. But when I, when I would go home, I would kind of like switch off, you know, be this like straight acting kind of guy. And yeah. I like looking about looking back at it as an adult now, that was a reason why like I was, I don't know if people would really describe me as an angry person, but like back then I was like, kind of angry because I'm just like well damn I'm like living this life that I really want to live at school with all my peers and then I come home and I have to pretend like somebody that I'm not you know and maybe it was my Catholic upbringing maybe it was the fact that like my grandparents were super religious um but that made me feel like very uncomfortable being who I was with my family and I hated that because like I love my family but I just couldn't share that part of myself with them um but after I came out to them everything can't everything just was fantastic. It was it was great. I don't even know why I tripped about it in the first place. <laughs> Honestly, you know my parents. You know that they yeah. don't they don't even care. Um, but it, it took a lot for me to come and come up to that and like build the confidence and build the courage to actually do that. And. Honestly, like from an outside perspective, you could just see like the way that you transformed throughout high school, like from the very first moment that, you know, you came out as like bisexual and then just seeing how much more open you got and how much more comfortable, like you could see you living your truth every single day. And it was, it was really beautiful for me to see as like a friend and just somebody who just wanted you to be and who loved you for everything that you were it was a really amazing experience to just see um you know because I mean we were teenagers like we're Mm -hmm. all coming into our identities anyways like puberty and you know dealing with like high school crushes and high school drama like there's already a lot of stuff going on in those years and so for you to have that extra burden like I know myself and I'm sure a lot of other of your friends just wanted what was best for you and for you to finally like get the comfort and I won't call it courage because you always have been very courageous but just for you to get to the level of like comfort to come out to your family Mm -hmm. when like you said we we knew that your parents are just amazing and it probably wouldn't have been a negative experience was like really inspiring for me and yeah I'm 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 happy that you are sharing this on my podcast. I'm very yeah. thankful for you. Well, no problem. <laughs> I've 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 gone a lot of time to think about just like my journey with with being gay, and I don't know. We I, if I were to bring it back to high school, well, let's let's get into intersectionality a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm into so, it. So you know, me me being an Asian American, um, I grew up in Costa Mesa. And then I moved to Garden Grove, which is like predominantly Asian. And then sixth grade is when I moved to Lake Forest. And then I met you and like like our other friends, or more specifically just you. You kind of gave me like this guiding light into how it was to be in white suburbia. (laughs) Just because like, okay, I got another POC girl up in here, you know, telling me what it's been like, you know, because you've been here for, for your whole life. Yeah, South Orange County is different than North Orange County, which I also have, like, tried to emphasize on this podcast. (laughs) Like, there is a very stark racial difference. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm glad I could be that for you. Growing up was not easy. Um, Again, like, the makeup of our school, of our high school, was predominantly white. And then Mm -hmm. I think the second most was, like, Hispanic. so, you know, not a ton of representation for Asian Americans or 
black people mm-hmm. on campus. It, it's just interesting that we like found each other in the way and then at the time that we did because right. shout out to Teen Lounge. I know. We started <laughs> this like after school program called the Teen Lounge and we would just like come up with the most outlandish scenarios like we were just talking the other day about how we thought that we were going to be in the hunger games <laughs> we, like, we like made up names for ourselves for ourselves um, and we would we would like set up obstacle courses outside like with hula hoops and like <laughs> jump from hula hoop to hula hoop and practice throwing like sticks at something see if it was stick <laughs> i mean I think that just goes to show like we created a space for ourselves, a safe space for ourselves Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of everything that we were going through. And on that vein, kind of a segue, like what sort of challenges do you think, like as you reflect now as an adult um, and, you know, now that we have more of a language to kind of pinpoint what sort of like microaggressions we had and what sort of like discrimination we went through. Are there any challenges that you had? Not that you need to relive your, your trauma, but um, are there any challenges that, you know, you think that you faced being gay and also being a person of color at El Toro? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, like from the very beginning, I felt myself trying to bring myself as close to whiteness as possible so that I can just be like, I had this like suit of armor on myself to be like, you know, oh, if they think I'm white, like they'll like me more. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously when you look at me, I just do not look white. (laughs) I do not look white. But like, it's, it's in terms of like the way I would present myself, the way that I would act. And it's just like, I really hate the way that, I felt about being Asian because I was just like, I don't know, I don't know. I I felt I felt weird about it in the way where I was like, oh, people are just gonna think I'm like some nerd or that like I can't be this like outgoing like out like outrageous stuff like that. So I found myself like hiding it back, and I think that when I came out as gay that kind of like snowball effect everything where I was like, you know what, like I need to start looking at things from a different perspective, you know, I need to stop acting like, (laughs) I need to stop acting like the way that I acted. (laughs) I mean, and it's, it's tough because like I, I deal with a lot of guilt too when it comes to maybe some of the ways that I didn't speak up enough or some of the ways that, um, you know, I also conform to whiteness because in a lot of ways it was easier to just, Mm -hmm try and fit in um to the to the way that things were around us than to be authentically ourselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and I, t- I totally understand that and a lot of like my journey towards like self-love and and discovering my identity and really just coming to terms with it has been like trying to absolve myself of that guilt just because you know we were kids we mm-hmm, were kids mm-hmm. we didn't know any better um and you know, not that that's an excuse for people to be racist right, or right, anything, right. but, right. you know, when you're conditioned from birth that you're supposed to look a certain way, um, act to be beautiful, mm-hmm. act a certain way to be acceptable, like, it's no surprise that, you know, we were forced into positions to try and conform. So mm-hmm. I applaud you for coming out the other end. I always say, you know, I love it when people can say that they escape the Orange County bubble because it really is such, like a powerful <laughs> force. Yeah, it took me a while. I mean, I didn't really notice it till college. And like going back, just like um, going back just a little bit, I feel like when I came out in high school, I really kind of like throughout the whole gay thing, 
Like I was just like, I- I'm just like, I'm just gay. Like, you know, like that's, that's just me. And then when I got to college, I'm like, wait a minute, there's like a crossover with me being Asian. And I was able to see more of the gay community and how we were perceived just like being Asian and gay. Um, there's a lot of things that I had to put into perspective. Um, just like meeting other gay Asian people. <laughs> like, like there was not another gay Asian person in our high school. I had gay friends, you know, they were all, they were all great, they, but you know, they just couldn't really have- They couldn't relate to your- me to your intersection exactly, like you had exactly. such a specific intersection and you know a lot of the things that like would I don't know if this bothered you but it, it bothered me like in some of the friend groups that we had like people who were outwardly very accepting of you and like who loved um hanging out with you and loved your energy and loved dancing with you at dances and <laughs> loved that aspect of you but then couldn't fully embrace the fact that you know you deserve to love who you love like that was something that irritated the fuck out of me and like yeah. I would get really defensive for you yes, because yes, I would yes. just see the hypocrisy um I mean there's already, there's already people coming to mind as of right now because oh like, totally they would they would treat me differently at school but you know what it was you know what it was senior year when I posted like it was like national coming out there or something. And I posted this long message about like the fact that I was like very, very comfortable. And then I would like go on people's Instagram stories and I would see it be like, well, this is my take on it. Yeah. <laughs> Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just the- and I'm like, girl, just hate me. Girl, just hate me. I don't care. <laughs> Please. And, and that's literally like the cognitive dissonance there that people just like function in. I, I don't understand it to this day. Um, but yeah, that was like a big, that was a big thing that I would get pissed about for you. And like, again, like I wasn't there to fight your battles. You were more than capable of doing that. But I know that was always something that like irked me and that actually like kind of tore me away from a lot. Like I don't hang out with a lot of people from El Toro or from high school just because they fucking piss me off. And a lot of them are bigoted for one reason or another. And, you know, there's not a lot of growth that I've seen at least through social media. Um, so yeah, I, I can't even imagine what it was like for you, like having to <laughs> live in those intersections because it would piss me off and I wasn't yeah. even the one that it was happening to. Yeah. And, and if I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I like thought it was too bad of an experience at El Toro. Maybe this, cause I was just like, I was just way too happy with the fact that I came out and that I just like was being who I wanted to be I guess I didn't really notice the hostility in places that they were you know yeah well that's what I'm saying like even you know looking back from my own perspective my own experiences a lot of what I brushed aside is just you know being dumb kids is like Mm -hmm. I didn't have the language or the ability to even like recognize that it was harmful to me and it was harmful on my psyche and it was um subconsciously doing harm to me Mm -hmm. so I think we had what we had each other yeah that was enough for me like that was enough for me I'm like oh all right we're going to a high school dance this weekend oh we're going to an all high school dance this weekend Oh, oh god we're not going to get into that on the podcast. Yeah, we, we won't get into that on the podcast. It's okay. We'll okay. filter that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only filter on this podcast. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, so leaving high school behind, um, which I think, you know, it's important to examine where you came from, but I think, you know, where you are now is the most important. Like, what was college like for you? Really, like, Woo! 
I know. I mean, that is the most broad question ever, but like specifically in relation to like, again, this intersection of your identity, like what was it like for you finally, like being able to just spread your your wings? Um, college was <laughs> one of the most fantastic times I've ever had in my life to this day. Right when I got into college, I was able to develop this like really core friend group that I had. It was like so many gay people that I could meet. And then I brought some of those gay people into my core group on top of like just some other people who were like very accepting of us. And we just had a grand old time the entire time. We would just like, we were very driven, you know, like we always did our classwork, but we knew how to party, which is (laughs) (laughs) important, very, very important. Um, But like, I guess one of the main things that I got into, like I was saying, like saying before was that I got into like more of my Asian identity and, you know, Mm -hmm. took a lot more like ethnic studies classes and wow, my brother is coming inside because he just took a shower. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) Hey Um, but I took um, a lot of ethnic studies classes and kind of realized a lot of the history that I didn't know about myself because I'm Filipino and I'm Vietnamese, both, you know, Southeast Asian countries. Um, and when I look back, like comparing it to the, what I learned about in high school about just like my histories, nothing, yeah. literally nothing in comparison. Whitewashed. Yeah, just, actually though. And I mean, it's not the high school's fault. It's just high school curriculum's fault, whoever put that there. Yeah. Um, Cause like, you I mean, you know, you know, the English teachers in high school, you know, those were our best. Oh, they would always I, tell us the way it is. I'm still friends with them on Facebook. Don't worry. <laughs> I got them. Shout out Mitch Sheridan. Shout out Mitch Sheridan. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, just going to college, it was, I joined KP, which was the Filipino organization on campus. I joined VSA, uh, Vietnamese Student Association on campus. And that was just like amazing. There was like hundreds of us, like in this giant building, you know, talking about just our lives. And then like, I got, you know, in, in each of the organizations, I was able to get like a little, you know how they do like a fam, like a family yeah. thing. Family yeah. Yeah. Um, and I hung out with them a lot too. And it was just nice to be able to talk about things that, you know, other people couldn't relate to. And it's not the fault they can't relate to. That's just, you know, their life experiences don't align with ours. But yeah. it, 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 it brought, it brought myself to like, and how do I say this? It gave me a new perspective on life, it gave me a new lens to look through. And I really appreciate the time that I had in college because, you know, I just surrounded myself with good people that I could talk to about everything and anything, you know, like, hey, did you guys ever feel like this in high school? Did you yeah. ever kind of like, <laughs> did you ever think this way? Like, did you have to change things about the way you saw the, like, the world? And they're like, hell yeah. And it's been a long time coming since that because I have friends from college who grew up in predominantly Asian areas, you know, like, yeah. Bolsa Grande or something, you know, Garden Bolsa Grove, Grande, yeah. <laughs> Bolsa Grande High School, Garden Grove High School, you know, that was just like where, where they came from. And it was just so, it was so interesting to hear the lives that they lived in high school and seeing it, how that, how, how it helped them become comfortable with their identity. And I'm like, you know what, let me take a little bit of this. Let me take a little bit of this little personality bit and add it onto myself. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it was just really kind of a mechanism for you to just fully embrace your identity like it seemed like you were already on the path to that in high school but you know I can only imagine like having people who look like you surrounding you and who could reflect your own experiences and who could validate you and what you were feeling like I can only imagine the effect that that would have just like 
on, you know, your self-acceptance because it's hard. Like I, I, and I regret this a lot. Like I didn't end up joining my black student union at UCLA um, just because, you know, I was busy with soccer and I mean, I, I definitely could have, um, but I was like worried. I was worried that like my experiences weren't going to be enough and weren't going to justify me like being <laughs> accepted into the black student union. And I know that that's not the case at all because UCLA has a really amazing one. And so I kind of was always just on the periphery. I'm um, trying to support how I could, but also maintaining a distance. And that's like, honestly, one of the biggest regrets that I have, um, not only in college, but just like in my life, yeah. um, because I hear stories like yours and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it was such a validating community building experience. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that you got that experience because you absolutely deserve it. Um, you. But do you feel like you still got the support you, you needed from other black people at school? Like, was there even that kind of like connection <sighs> with a, a group maybe? mostly just people you surrounded yourself with in soccer um i i mean there is a large black population um for student athletes so i i did find community um mm -hmm. in the spaces that i did have mm -hmm. so on that regard like yeah i do still feel like i you know got at least some solidarity from people who look like me um mm -hmm. but at the same time like there's a lot of ways that ucla fails its black students i'm sure you've seen stuff um mm -hmm. but yeah i mean I, I i did get at least something i know that i could have gotten more had i been brave enough to kind of just take the jump and not really concern myself with what may or may not happen um but you know much like you i was able to create at least some space for myself and mm -hmm. i have what you got sunny Yes, and I did. <laughs> I did. And Tegan. Yeah. I mean, in another way, like I was able to create a community for myself that helped me maybe on a different path that I needed at the time. Like I was more comfortable at that point with my black identity as a black biracial woman. Um, and I think that a lot of the support I needed w was in other ways, like with self-esteem and um, you know, that was kind of the start of like my activism. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was able to create a community for myself that I needed at that time. But like I said, I, I wish I could have done more, but you know, my experience informed my worldview, like my experience with kneeling, um, and just all the different people that I met, all the different cultures. So, I mean, do you feel similarly that like college really either change your perspective, um, or, altered the way that you see the world or just informed your worldview and the way that you're seeing it now, especially with everything going on um, in 2020. Absolutely. And like another thing, I just kind of like a tangent kind of thing, but I was like thinking about um, it. Um, but I don't know, like being able to think about my Asian identity in college and seeing the intersection of how it affected just me being gay. Like I saw it a lot with, I guess it was just dating, like dating apps yeah. or stuff like that. And I'm like, damn, like people are really just straight up putting no Asians in their bio. That's harsh. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what did you, 
Who worked for you? Literally, at what point in your life did you decide that this was what you needed to do for your bio? And I'm like, I get it. Like, it's a hookup. I'm not going to name names or anything. (laughs) It's unfiltered. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, like, you know, that's one thing that I was grateful in college was that I was able to just, like, be gay. I got to hook up with people I wanted to hook up with people. Like, that kind of stuff. And, And going back to high school, I'm just, like, I was always surrounded with mostly straight people. And I would just kind of see how... They were able to just pick another person at a party or pick another person at school and be like, you know what, let's date. Let's try it out and let's see how our relationship goes. But I myself fully never had that experience in high school. I wasn't able to just be like, hey, you know, there's another gay person. Why don't we just date? And, you know, when we went to ASB and ASB camp where like so many gay people were, that was also another thing that helped ASB camp. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, going into college, I'm like, wow, I can actually do this now. But then I kind of saw how the Asian community was perceived in the gay community, you know. And, you know, that goes back to history, you know, Asian men are kind of seen as effeminate or like not necessarily being like a manly man, you know what I mean? But like a macho mucho a man, macho mucho man, but I'm not saying that that's what it means to be a gay man. It's just like, that's just, you know, yeah. another thing that I had to tick in the back of my head. Like, oh, they don't see me that way. That's like, I mean, I, I guess that kind of, and as, as we're calling it a tangent, like it just reminded me of the way that, you know, the wave of like anti-Asian hate that we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not shocked that that was how dating apps were for you. But, you know, on the women's side of things, like the fetishization of Asian women mm-hmm. happened a lot oh, on absolutely. dating apps. And so it's interesting to me that a similar dynamic plays out on the male side of dating apps mm-hmm. um not that this is a dating app show but i think that's a really interesting dynamic and yeah because like I I mean, when you i mean when you think about the gay community a lot of our interactions are kind of put towards dating apps it's not really like a safe space that we can go to besides gay bars and i wasn't 21 yet so like i had never been to yeah. a gay bar until after i graduated college um but like that was just most like the main place that we would go to talk to each other meet other people it wasn't just yeah. like you can like oh there's a gay person over there. Let me go talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't um, pick him off the street. Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, he's kind of cute. Maybe I should like ask for his number without the fear of me being like, I could probably get punched right now. Yeah. Great <laughs> crime. In fear of their uh, their masculinity being questioned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just a lot to think about. And uh, I, I have been thinking a lot about it now, but, you know, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that after graduating college because I was able to start, you know, I had my first two boyfriends. And we don't really need to get into those. <laughs> I was just going to say, ah, we don't need to. This is not a trauma podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do not need you to relive trauma on camera for me for entertainment. Please don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, what, like how is dating apps for you? Like, did you even, did you use them in college? Um, <laughs> I think my parents listen to this, so sorry. Um, <laughs> it's unfiltered. <laughs> I mean, I didn't use them too much. I think a lot of my college experience was different just because um, I was an athlete and the athlete community is very close. Um, you don't see a lot of dating outside of the athlete community. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, mean, I literally your parents, came. Your parents are both yeah. athletes too, right? Like, yeah. You came from UCLA athletes, so. You know, it happens like a lot and, you know, most of my dating pool, I would say was like inside the athletic department. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really f- have a need for dating apps in college. Um, obviously I had like a really long-term 
boyfriend and again this is not a trauma podcast so we will mm-hmm. not be talking about him mm-hmm. but um yeah i don't know like my experience with dating apps now at least in like coronavirus times because there was literally no other way to meet people or talk yeah. to people um yeah. one thing again is like i feel like for women of color um just being fetishized is like something that I experience a lot and like I hate I'm very ethnically ambiguous and I get that I get that I look Asian or that I look Hispanic more than I look black a lot from people or like Pacific Islander um which is a whole other topic on itself but like Mm -hmm. just people being like oh you look so exotic or like yeah like just fetishizing like I don't know my body like not that i'm not like showing off because i'm cute whatever but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the way that it's put above all else like above my personality and above um you know my brains like i'm a smart bitch i can you know i have a ucla degree um i'm studying for my lsat like i value my intelligence over probably anything else about myself and so mm-hmm. that's one thing with dating apps that like bothers me a lot is just like being fetishized and like being mm-hmm. seen as this like object to just be one or this object to just be used um so and, and you know kind of what i've i've gathered not well, i haven't gathered this but like can you talk a bit more about like why people why people perceive the gay community as like being only for like hookups and they don't really give the LGBTQIA plus community, like the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like dating, like why do people think that like gay people only hook up? You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, okay. I got you. I'm phrasing that wrong, but no, no, I got you. I got you. Um, (laughs) And I think that, I mean, it kind of, kind of has to go back to what I brought up before. It's like in high school, it wasn't like a thing we could just really just express. We couldn't just like hook up with another person. But when we get to college and we get to our adulthood, it's like, I want to do all the things that people have been doing since their teen years. Yeah. And you know, that's why they see a lot of hookup culture, like in the gay community. It's just because like, we have not, we have been deprived the entire time. And, and I think eventually what will, what will label the hoe phase, (laughs) (laughs) we get, we get out of it, you know? And like, I, I mean, I, once I got out of college, like I started like, settling down or I started like looking for a relationship and like you know got past the relationship phase and like now I'm just like you know letting time take like letting time pass and letting it come to me you know I'm not trying to like force it to happen but I don't know I I honestly don't know why people would automatically just label it that that's the only thing I could think of like as a gay community only only for hookups because like when I when I when I look at my my peers in the LGBTQ community, like I see a lot of love there. I see a lot of love for a lot of people. And it's not just like, oh, you know, they're like these horny people who are just trying to hook up all the time. You know, like they're going to like see someone and be like, I'm going to hop on that person, you know? And I don't really, maybe it's because I haven't been thinking about it in that way, but I don't know. I, I also haven't met any people I think about that way but I know that like largely in like a social media perspective or just yeah. on the internet like that's how people view the community and I'm like damn that's kind of, that kind of sucks <sighs> yeah no I'm I I don't think that way uh, but I get that perception from social media like you said um so I was wondering if you just had any insight and I mean yeah. I honestly think that's probably why is because for a period of time like it makes sense that 
y'all are like doing what you were not able to do for so long for fear of yeah. like being harmed for fear mm -hmm. of like getting accidentally outed um for fear of you know there's a bajillion reasons to why you might not have felt safe enough to experiment and really mm -hmm. you know explore your sexuality in the way that straight kids are afforded mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. straight people are afforded yeah, yeah absolutely um, so i mean it makes sense to me but you know at the same time it, it doesn't make sense to label the entire community as like just that yeah no it doesn't but you know how the bigots are gonna bigot that's <laughs> you know how they're gonna generalize and generalize as they like to yeah no so i mean that's a really good segue for i think the next part that i want to talk about is like allyship like mm -hmm. what do you think makes a good ally for the lgbtqia plus community in your perspective i know this will probably be different for everybody but um would love to hear your thoughts on it specifically well, if I wanted to think about being an ally, like I just think about, I think closely about the people that I have in my life, you know, straight people, gay people, people of any, any walk of life. And I consider them an ally when they are able to listen to my experiences and I'm able to listen to theirs and we find common ground somewhere. And we're just very, like we were open and we just, we love each other. And sometimes the other person or even me might have a different perception of what we think it means to be gay, what it means to be in the LGBTQ community, you know, and it's up to us. It's up to either them or me to change the way that we think. And I think that's a great thing for an ally to do is knowing when to be like, you know what, maybe, maybe I have this wrong. Maybe I yeah. need to like do some digging and see how I could think differently. And I have to thank that to all of my gay friends. I just recently like posted for National Coming Out Day and like at the bottom of it, I was like, I really have to thank my life to all the people that I have in the LGBT community. It's just to see them live their lives so openly and so like great gracefully, it's inspiring to me. And not only that, they have allowed me to bring up misconceptions that I have about the community with them and then get a different perspective which yeah. which which ultimately changes mine so i think it's you know listening uh understanding and being respectful about any 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 single person that comes into your life whether they be whether they aren't part of the community and like you know like if i were to meet another straight person like i'm not saying there has to be like straight allyship but like that's just kind of the way i live my life now whenever yeah. i meet a new person yeah, I know for me, it's definitely been a journey and part of my journey with allyship specifically with like the LGBTQIA plus community has been just knowing that I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. Like mm -hmm. I will get it wrong and people will get it wrong. And it's just acknowledging that and acknowledging, you know, harm that is done and mm -hmm. being able to adjust from it and being able to educate yourself from it and not doubling down when you're wrong <laughs> yeah not doubling down when you're wrong um and really just you know trying to to be better like and when we talk about intersectionality like i feel like that you know applies across a lot of different um areas like you know that's being like a black ally that's being an like a anti-racist ally um so you know just being able to be like okay I'm going to get it wrong. I should do my best to be as respectful as possible. But if I mess up, 
you know, I can correct that harm and sincerely apologize and then, you know, do better moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, which is I, where I think a lot of people fall short, at least when I like, I'm thinking about like anti-racist allyship. Um, so, I mean, on that thread, like, what do you think, you know, where do you think a lot of allyship like falls short? It would, it, it would have to be just the fact that they're not willing to acknowledge when they're wrong. Because it's like, maybe I'm thinking about performative allyship. I mean, that is a way that allyship falls short, I think. That, um, that is true. That, okay, so yeah, that too. And also the fact that they don't acknowledge when, they, when they're wrong. Because, like, what's the point? Like, if someone is trying to tell you that you may have it wrong, what's the point of being like, no, like, there's no possible way that I'm wrong right now. You know, like, yeah. you know, this is just the way that it's supposed to be, like, just be open about it. And I feel like pride comes yeah. into that a lot. Like you don't want to like feel like you're a bad person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, at least that's what I get with like white guilt. So I can only assume that it's like very similar. It translates the same way towards, towards like other people. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't want to feel, you don't want to be labeled a racist or like, I don't you don't want to be homophobic, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's very <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a hard thing it's a hard thing to like think about for me i mean i guess it's just because like I've, I've i've lived my life like this way for so long that when i think about allies i just think about everyone in my life because i consider everyone in my life an ally but it, you know when i put it towards the outside perspective or like the worldly perspective not everyone thinks like people that are in my life yeah you know and and i've I'm lucky enough to not have to experience that much discrimination when it comes to me, you know? So maybe, maybe, maybe that is just something I have to think more into just like the term allyship, what it means to be an ally. Cause like I have, I have my definition of what it is, but like now it's time for me to figure out what other people define an ally as. Can you, How- can you tell me your perspective a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, this kind of goes into the next question that I was going to ask is like, in what way does like intersectionality function in allyship? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can be an ally to me as a black person, but then not be an ally to me as a woman. A woman. Um, you can be an ally to me as a woman and then not be an ally to me as a black person. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think allyship to me is intersectional like you need to acknowledge that people's identities overlap Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that you cannot support me if you do not support all facets of who I am if you do not support all the layers that make me up to be who I am like if you can't support me as a black woman then that's not genuine allyship to me like I think it's just embracing all facets of somebody's identity Mm -hmm. um and doing your best to support them like i think about a lot of um you know work that's being done in terms of like black liberation and how oftentimes like trans women are excluded in that or trans people or um you know there's rampant homophobia in the black community um there's rampant sexism in the black community and um you know, how are we all supposed to unite together if we're not acknowledging the different facets in the black community? I see. Yeah. Like, and in my perspective, and you know, when I went to the women's March a few years back, um, I had this poster and 
um, it it said black trans women matter. And I mean, I truly believe that, you know, we're not going to have liberation for anybody unless those who are most marginalized are accounted for and taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. Like I, when I went to that March, I ended up running into a black trans woman and she was like so taken aback by my poster. And she was just like, are you, are you trans? And I was like, no, like I just, you know, I, I think that black liberation comes from, you know, bottom up and not top down. Mm-hmm. And I she, love the way you put that. yeah. And she was just like, whoa, like she was like, oh my gosh, can I have this poster? Like, it makes me so excited to see like, you know, people supporting us um in the community and it hurt my heart that like you know she felt like like it hurt my heart that she was putting so much stock in like me doing the simplest act of like putting a poster but i think that just goes to show like how little um intersectionality is functioning in a lot of the spaces where this work is being done um so that's i don't know that was kind of a long little tangent but no no i really appreciated that actually yeah. Like if, if I were to talk about like my my intersectionality, it's like, um, I I don't, I don't know. Like I have I have I have gay friends that like really just don't understand my Asian experience, and like they've acknowledged that they're gonna get it wrong. Like they don't know much about my his about Asian history. They don't know about much of like the things that we've been through because like largely they've had to deal with their race and like yeah. what they've had to do to live the life that they want to, being at their point in time. You know, at their at their yeah. at their intersection. So I get that, like, as long as a person were to acknowledge the entire person for who they are, you know, me being gay and Asian, man, you know, <laughs> like, I think that I think that's a great step forward is like, if someone were to be able to acknowledge all of that. Yeah, and kind of going off that, like, what do you think are other ways that people like can be better allies or can help the communities that you function in? Um, I know a lot of like, I mean, I've, I've kind of not given up, but I get tired trying to like convert people from, mm-hmm. you know, where we grew up, um, like South Orange County, just because I feel like a lot of times it falls on deaf ears, mm-hmm. but, um, what, what do you think are some ways that people can help? Um, my tip of advice would be just research, research, research about everything, anything, histories of people, what they've been through, what it means for a, for an entire race to come over to America. You know, like I had to research what it was like, like, why did, how did Filipinos end up in America? How did Vietnamese people end up in America? How did people from the Middle East end up in, in America? You know, just like largely being able to understand the experiences a community has been to just like being in America. I feel that has really helped my viewpoint of just like seeing how everything kind of lays out does that make kind of sense does that make sense yeah because it's like if you're if you take it upon yourself to do your own research rather than having someone else tell you about it you can make your own opinions about it and when someone does bring it up then you can have a conversation about it rather than having to spend the entire time trying to explain to a person why we feel this way yeah <laughs> you know you I know? feel like context is important and like it's not your your black friend's job it's not your asian friend's job to inform you about like Mm -hmm. what's going on like exactly if they're willing to have a conversation with you about it um then that's awesome but you know it shouldn't be just them having to like relive their trauma and relive you know their life experience for you to understand a semblance of like what has happened to them 
or what has happened to the community. I think, you know, people need to come in informed um, if they are going to try and engage in these conversations. And, you know, like we are grown ass adults. We are all more than capable of, you know, Google, Google. (laughs) I mean, and those who don't have access to internet, like, you know, libraries or, you know, there's a bajillion bajillion resources out there for people. Um, to educate themselves in one way or another, um, especially with like social media. I was just going to say, it has us trapped. <laughs> it has us wrapped around its little finger. Trust <laughs> me, you know, sitting in bed sometimes, 12 a.m., turning into on 3 a.m. Yep, exactly. <laughs> when they get the, hold on, hold on. I, I literally, I almost been scrolling for too long. <laughs> I literally like, almost. Okay, whatever. <laughs> literally. Scroll. Same. I mean, that's a whole other episode. Like, <laughs> social media in a lot of ways is like very harmful. Um, but I do think like There's the way that it circulates information and has made information so readily available, I think is like a really powerful tool. And like going As- off of that, because of there's so much information readily available, it's really easy for someone to latch on to something that's just not useful to them. Yeah. You know, like the like or I'm gonna yeah oh yeah or i'm gonna go down a rabbit hole on youtube and like you know yeah just spiral yeah exactly so it's like (laughs) it's really up to the person or it's really up to the individual for themselves to choose what they consume when it comes to the internet to stay on a path of i i I was gonna say righteousness but that's not the word i'm thinking of (laughs) stay on a path of you know focused on what's at hand you don't want to go looking for ways to like help black people and then scroll on something that's talking about how politicians are lizard people yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) no but yeah one of the last oh oh, good no go ahead ahead. no no no, finish because i was about to segue oh okay um just like I mean, you know, me and you, we just talked about it right now. Like we're, we're not perfect people. We still get trapped and we still get trapped on the internet sometimes, maybe more often than we should. Yeah. But, you know, we have those moments where we're like, you know what? I, I just need to like read an article. I need to read a research paper. I need to read a scientific paper. And I guess it has to do with the fact that like we put a lot of um, what, confidence, I guess, in our intelligence. You know, we want yeah. to be able to continue to learn more things. So like, that's just like us. But if anyone out there is listening... Pull out a pull out your Google. Yeah. Read something. Learn something new. <laughs> learn something new every single day. That's what I try and do. I really try and like I feel like, again, with how much information is accessible to me, like I feel like I learn something new every single day, which is mm-hmm. really powerful. Exactly. Um and it's definitely like informed my perspective as I get older. I definitely don't believe all the same things um that I did when I was 16. Um, though I feel, you know, I had good in my heart and I was headed in the right direction. Like I just wasn't as informed as I am now. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that is due to like my willingness to learn and my excitement in learning. So, you know, that's something that I can recommend for everybody. (laughs) It's fun. Trust me guys. It's fun. (laughs) Learning is fun. (laughs) No, but yeah. So I guess, you know, that's kind of my advice for people who are listening. But in case there's like a young person of color listening who may or may not be a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, like what sort of advice do you have for them in just, you know, 
reflecting on your journey like what do you wish that you could have heard from somebody that was maybe a little bit older than you or even you know it doesn't even have to be somebody younger than you like it's just somebody who might be starting this journey towards self-love and self-acceptance like what sort of advice do you have for them um i live by this specific mantra it goes let everything happen to you beauty and terror just keep going no feeling is final and I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, because there's going to be bad days. There's going to be good days. And that's just, that's just, that's just how you have to live out your journey. You know, like there's never always going to be a hundred percent good days or a hundred percent bad days. And when you dwell on it, on the bad days, it's, it's really hard to notice the good things that happen in your life. So just, just enjoy every single second that you live, you know? And another thing that I would say is, this is another thing. It's, um, what is it? What is it? Honesty without kindness is brutality. Kindness without honesty is manipulation. And I live by that. And I don't know if this helps in any way, but maybe it'll like, <laughs> kind of (laughs) turn the gears a little bit I mean I think that speaks to a lot of like the moment that we're living in right now is like we need both honesty and kindness and compassion and like you know we have some really hard truths to confront like as Mm. a society um so that's where honesty comes in but we also need kindness because you know a lot of these topics are very harmful to people Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and to, go, and to be like straight up punching them in the face with all this information, they're gonna be like, "Wait, whoa, 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 whoa!" Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. If anything, they're gonna like shell up and become defensive about it and not really want to have a conversation. Or they're just like not gonna think about it. And this is not me advocating for uh, being nice to racists, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you <laughs> make it clear. <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. There is a certain way to, you know, sometimes go about these conversations if you're in a space to have them. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, bees are attracted to honey and not vinegar. Um, So I get that. I do do get that. I understand that. A lot of times it's hard for me to execute, Uh, especially when it comes (laughs) to the racists that I grew up with. But yes, I I definitely agree. And Um, this is the last one too. This is the last one. Why am I full of quotes today? Let it's I see my Instagram bio, so you know it's another thing that I live by. Let love define family. You know, if you have people in your life that are that are your family that may not accept you for the way that you are, you will find family in other people. You will find it in your friends, you will find it in your teachers, your mentors, your peers. You will find it wherever you want to find it, you know. So hey, we found it. We found it, and you're not my sister biologically. You're my sister, but <laughs> I was gonna say damn <laughs> no you're not my sister biologically but you are my sister but yeah no i i really do believe that we carved out a very special space for each other in our hearts and again like i am so so grateful for you um i tell you this all the time especially when we're drunk drinking mimosas on sundays but i i really do love you <laughs> which we need to do soon actually I know, you're telling me, okay? You know, are telling was, me. I know that was my fault, being a little busy bee. <laughs> Vaccinated and feeling Vaccinated. good. Wait, what'd you get? Pfizer. Same year, same year, same year. I hear all the baddest bitches get Pfizer. 
Anyways. I mean, wait, last thing I wanted to say, though, is, like, I never okay. got to bring up the fact that, like, you're one of my first, like, Black friends to ever, to, to, to for me to have in, in my life. And you've done a lot for me, just, like, one, being a strong, resilient, and courageous woman, but also just to be able to see you on your discovery of self-love, especially even now, you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring to me to want to do whatever I can. And I really have to thank you for that. So I love you, Kaya. Oh my God. I hate getting, <laughs> I, hate, <laughs> I hate getting sappy on the air, but yes, I, <laughs> I love you too. Um, so this is the point of the show now where you share a story from your perspective to further enlighten the audience about our relationship. So I will give you the floor um, and live react to whatever you say. I'm scared. <laughs> I think, you know what, you know what the first story, like it was, I thought about this like half an hour ago was track and field. Oh, God. Our meet senior year, you were running the, was it the 400? Was it the open four or the four by four? I think it was the four by four. Okay. And oh, I just remember, well, no, this, this, this isn't even a bad story, if anything. <laughs> like, I know that I had finished up my event, you know, with throwing, and mm -hmm. I had to make sure that I was there for the four by four because that's usually like the last event. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, now I wasn't allowed to do it, but I was on that field for that last 50, and I was oh, screaming. God. I'm like, Kaya, get it going. Like, you need to keep going. You need to beat her. And you, I just remember at the end of it, like you're like bent over, <laughs> heaving on the ground, like legs burning. And you're like, thank you so much for that. Like I needed that in that last 50 because like I would run out. And I think that like translates into the fact that I will always have your back. Oh, I love it. I remember that. I, I remember telling you being like, hey, can you stand here at that last like either – 100, 100 or 50, or 50. Yeah. because that's where it like at that curve where you just hit the straightaway like that was where you just wanted to pass yeah, out like the gas is the gas is on empty at that point and i do i remember hearing your voice around all others because i don't know if people can tell from this but you are a loud individual <laughs> very um, loud individual but i could hear you above all else um it's weird that, that literally just like came back into my head i had forgotten about that but yeah no i i know you always have my back and all i have for is <laughs> i know that too and maybe that story doesn't really translate into you having my back because like i'm cheering you on but like i that's how i feel towards <laughs> you and i wanted to let to make it known to the world but that's how i feel about you basically we just love each other so much. we really do and we're gonna start crying on the podcast like after we click end <laughs> yeah so you guys we're in filter but not you know not much <laughs> well thanks for coming on to my show i am so happy that you were able to make time and space for this um i am grateful for your voice like i've said multiple times and i'm sure that the people who listen to this will love you just as much as i do so thank you for coming well, i for really appreciate it I of course it. i love it you know what? Like, maybe we should just do like a joint podcast kind of thing. Hey, you know, <laughs> I'm always looking up for uh, after that uh, dating app conversation. It certainly could be a market for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. But All yeah. right. Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're still here, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. That helps get us ratings and helps us get discovered, et cetera, et cetera. 
Make sure you follow us on our socials, which are both unfiltered WKM. Um, I couldn't do the full name because it wasn't available, but make sure you follow <laughs> those. Um, and then check out merch at twocentsports.shop to help support the show and the network. And, you know, let me know what you think in the comments. I am so excited for this conversation and I'll hear you guys or no, you'll hear me next week. <laughs> Wait, what comments? Where do they comment? All good. They're all good comments. No, where do they comment? Oh, Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, DMs are open always. I'll be sure to leave a comment. You know me. (laughs) (laughs) No bias. That guy sounds kind of (laughs) cute. Well, thanks, Kaya. Love you. Love you too.